0: chefs and hospitality folks from their homes throughout Chicago. We have 50 of them working on this project. They're developing videos, they're writing recipes. They're thinking too how these recipes tie into learning objectives for students. All of those videos are are in the process of being created or soon will be created for us and shared back to us to go back out to our food education center. But bringing people together in that way, even though we're all in our homes and feeling disconnected right now, coming back to how food brings people together. We have chefs and people who love food deeply and, and want to share their knowledge of food and their passion for food, working on these, these videos and these ideas to be sharing them back with parents, with youth, with teachers, and a small way, it's a way of bringing people together through food when, when we need
1: it the most. Hi, and welcome to The Big Schmear. The podcast celebrating Jewish food, culture, and history. I'm your host, Beth Schenker. A short time ago, I mentioned that during the pandemic, I wanted to expand the focus of my podcast to include new ways to feel connected to our roots and to our family through healthy eating. Last November, I was introduced to Pilot Light, an organization that focuses on healthy eating for kids through education and experience. I thought their mission and the work they do is really important, and I think that you'll want to know about them. There's lots to share, so I'm gonna get started. My guests today are Alexandra DeSorba-Quinn, Executive Director, and Caitlin Ahrens, Food Education Support Manager of Pilot Light. Hi, Alex, hi, Caitlin, welcome to The Big Schmear. Hi, thank you for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, nice to be here. And I'm guessing you both are healthy and probably not in the same location, because I, I dialed into two different numbers.
0: That's correct. We're both hunkered down in uh, different suburbs of the Chicagoland area. <laughs> We're <laughs> fortunately healthy. Well, that's good.
1: Yeah. So I thought maybe we'd start out by giving a little introduction of what Pilot Light is, what it does, what its mission is. So take it away, ladies.
0: Sure. So um, so this is Alex. So Pilot Light is a nonprofit organization uh, based in Chicago, and we were founded in 2010 by a group of leading Chicago chefs and uh, educators uh, who believe that food education needed to be part of what students are learning in their classrooms every day. And with that goal in mind, they set out to create a program that made food education a priority for students, and, and we'll get more into it how we define food education and what that's all about. But the, the model is really based on food being integrated into core content areas like math and science and social studies as a strategy to both get this important information in front of our kids, but give teachers a tool that they can use to engage students to make lessons in core subjects exciting and in. Um, appealing and to be thinking about them in different ways while at the same time students are learning about food and, and making connections to their own lives.
1: That all makes just so much sense to me. And I remember when I first met Caitlin, we were seated at, next to each other at a table <laughs> at a lovely food event, of course, food in November. And she was explaining to me just all of that, which you know, when you think about it, it's like, of course, that's all connected and should be connected. And and, uh, what better way to start that education process, but with kids. And so I wonder if one of you could talk about, I know the the program started in the Chicago Public Schools. So how was that? Was it hard to get into a school system? And Chicago Public Schools is probably one of the largest in the country. So it's not just a slam dunk, I wouldn't think.
0: Sure. Yeah. I'll I'll Start with this one, Caitlin, and then hand it over to you. When the program started, it was at one elementary school in Chicago on the north side, and just so happened that one of our founding chefs, Matthias Murgis, uh, his daughters went to school there. So in partnership with the principal and some teachers there, they three times a year, they began delivering the program with food education tied into these core subjects. And instead of testing it and seeing how it was going, it was a pilot. In 2014, once that was solidified and there was lots of engagement and excitement from, from the teachers and the students and the parents, they made the decision uh, to extend to more schools throughout the city. So uh, we very deliberately chose different communities within Chicago, different schools to focus on. And initially there were five additional schools for any of your listeners that aren't from Chicago, uh, or familiar with Chicago Public Schools, to your point, Beth, it, it is a, a difficult system to navigate, both from kind of the highest levels, but also every school is so different, and every community is so different, and um, that initial approach was important because it gave us the opportunity to see um, how our program might work in a community with a largely spanish speaking community, a largely Hispanic population, versus a community. We were also in Hyde Park at the time, which has close ties to the University of Chicago. So we sort of got to see how it all played out and what made sense moving forward. What we learned was that the program could not be one-size-fits-all. It didn't it make sense just to take curriculum and, and sort of treat it as plug-and-play, drop it into a school and classroom. It really needed to be a deep partnership with teachers, with parents, with full leadership to figure out, um, and also with students, to figure out what made sense, how the curriculum needed to be adapted, both for the communities and the, the cultures and the experience that the students had, and also for the the, the learning and, and teaching and learning styles of the teachers, so that it could be something that made sense for each classroom. So, in 2016, we invested in professional development for teachers, and, and was created sort of a cohort model program where we bring in groups of teachers each year. Um, We develop their leadership in this model of integration of food education into core curriculum. And we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, what the community that their students live in and how to support them with adapting their curriculum, talk about ways in which their curriculum might need to be adapted um, to best support their students. And uh, through that, we learn a lot through the teachers. But but really, it comes back to even in one school district, like Chicago Public Schools, one set of curriculum just doesn't make sense. It, it really needs to be fine-tuned to meet the needs of, of different students in different communities. And along with that, I think I'll turn it over to Caitlin, because there are a lot of different ways in which even the food itself needs to be adaptive and, and how we need to be supporting the teachers and, and bringing food into the classrooms and what that looks like like how mentioned, you know, a lot of our teachers and communities approach and have, have different access to food. So that's a really important and mindful consideration that we have in our programming. So thinking about how teachers are bringing food into the classroom, but also how they're talking about food. So food education doesn't necessarily have to be uh, an elaborate meal in a, in a classroom. In fact, most of the time, the way in which it's most effective is when it's the opposite. So um, using things or adapting with things that teachers maybe already have in their classrooms um, and then also uh, trying to keep the materials and the equipment pretty minimal. Um, we found over, you know, the years in which the program has evolved and developed that we're really charging our teachers to be our chefs and broadening our definition of, of what a chef is and that, that everybody really can be be a chef. And what that looks like practically speaking is, You know, teachers will often do lessons leading up to um, a food experience um, in which that they're talking about the ingredients themselves or talking about how they're integrating into a class, for example. So I always like to use the example of the, um, we have a lesson that's around the Boston Tea Party. So when we're thinking about, you know, we're learning about the history of our our country and then, uh, and then we kind of develop these keyboards. So we're thinking about like marketing and the ingredients and the, the rationale for what was going on during that time. Um, and then the food experience is a, is a pretty simple one in which uh, the things, the tea, which is dried, um, come together and students can make those uh, individually. And so not, not too many ingredients there or not too many um, different items, but uh, things that teachers can get and also very important things that if students wanted to recreate this in their homes, that they would be able to get themselves some some more local to them.
1: So I wonder if we could just back up a little and talk about maybe how Pilot Light interacts with all these different components. And by that, I mean you've got teachers, you've got students, you've got parents, you've got schools. And so how does, Pi- how does Pilot Light integrate all of that? And I know you've sort of hit on that, but I'm trying to give people a sense of um, the process and the implementation of how Pilot Light works.
0: Definitely. Um, so I think uh, Pilot Light would not would not work without working within our community. So um, what I would say is that because we work with teachers and teachers are the ones who are conducting our curriculum, they're really the uh, we serve both teachers and students. So. Teachers will uh, are content creators, so they create the lessons that they're teaching in their classroom. So they're looking at their curriculum, whether they're an English teacher, science, math, history, and they're thinking about what they're teaching, and then they're creating lessons that are based around uh, what they're already teaching in their class. So that's what we mean uh, when we're saying that we're integrating things. And then um, a lot of times our lessons include take-home activities, so the take-home activities are um, extensions that students are designed to, you know, bring home to their families. Um, so one of my favorite um, things that I've seen on a re- lesson recently is creating, like, recipe books or um, kind of looking and uh, asking story or asking questions to your family sort of about, um, you know, their the ingredients that they have in the, the stories of food. Um, in their families and so just sort of like these prompts in which to open up uh, dialogue and share a lot of curiosity is really how we connect in with parents and because teachers have and this varies tremendously from school to school but different ways in which they interact and relate to their parents um, and communities that sort of differs too but um, one of the things that we've done in the past are community dinners um, in which parents and teachers um, and students all come to the table at one place and they work and they make a dinner together with other people in their community so that's you know obviously something that um is a little different than what's happening in this time and in age but what we've been working with a lot lately is thinking about how we can kind of honor the nature of creating those spaces um and doing it virtually mm. and uh, that's how we've gotten really involved in this new piece of our, you know, our e-learning and shifting gears with our programming to family, you know, developing these virtual lessons that parents can use in their homes that are, are sort of based off of some of these take-home extensions um, that were written by our teachers over the years.
1: So that brings up a couple of questions for me, which is when you and I talked, Caitlin, back in November, you were saying that you were just starting to work on expanding beyond like the Chicago public school system. So I'm guessing this situation that we are all in together has kind of pushed that forward at maybe even a faster pace than you all had originally anticipated.
0: (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) We launched our food education center in the fall, which is a digital platform for all of our, our curriculum for teachers, for different activities and information that could support teachers with implementing the model in their classrooms. And with the current situation and the pandemic, we, you know, immediately recognized schools are schools are closing. And, you know, I mean it's amazing to think that this all happened within the span of a few days. But, you know, I think a everybody's kind of getting used to um, the the speed in which um, these changes are occurring or or maybe not getting used to it. It's definitely been an interesting process, but, you know, we saw schools were closing and we knew right away that our teachers were going to need resources that they could share with their families to support them with distance learning. But at the same time, we also saw parents were hungry for more resources and information (laughs) and As parents were moving to homeschooling, they were, they were scheduling out their children's time. They were, um, you know, it, it, was, it was stressful all around. And, you know, we, we looked to our food education center and the resources up there. And, and knowing that a lot of them were developed specifically for teachers, we pivoted pretty quickly. And within that first week had launched a set of lessons for families. We called this all our family meal. So it's a set of family lessons along with videos, which I encourage everybody to go check them out because you can see Caitlin, um, <laughs> our, our star <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the family meal videos, but I mean, <laughs> figuring out how to shoot to them from her kitchen, involving her family in the process. Caitlin was essentially the, the guinea pig for all of this, but her, uh, <laughs> really did a wonderful job figuring out first writing the script for these videos to tie into the lessons filming them from home. We have a, an editor who's been going in and uh, editing them for consistency and, and to shorten them and everything. But the idea is that we're creating this package that can support families during this time. And that I know so much of what you focus on in your podcast is food bringing people together and, and what we can, how we can connect through food and what we can learn about ourselves through food. And the beauty of the Family Meals Program and, and food education from home is that most of us have kitchens and we have food and you know we don't necessarily especially with what's going on you know access might be limited and we might have to look to our pantries and work with what we have but in the light of the current situation it's a beautiful connection point for for parents and their kids that who can bring them together and, and foster these different conversations but it's an opportunity for deeper learning and you know an opportunity to uh, you know, I've been hearing from a lot of people that they're just grateful for the time to be together in the evening, make dinner together, to enjoy it together. And it's one of the, the pieces of family life that for many um, with busy schedules is often lost. And the current situation has given us the opportunity to do much more of that. So, why not learn through that process? So, yeah. Um, so, over the, it's It's hard to believe this has just been over the past few weeks, but we've um we've launched this whole new page of our our Food Education Center. And yeah, we I mean it it just worked out really well that we already have this platform set up and ready to go and now we're we're working with teachers, with chefs, with parents, with families to get these resources up there posted and, and back out to our community to to support them.
1: So what I'd like to just jump in and say is that the website is really very clean and clear and you can find your way around really easily. And it's so great that these resources are out there. It's Tell me the age range of kids that you focus on in your lessons.
0: Yeah, so we do have lessons on our food education for grades K through 12. And I, I would say like a lot of our, all of our, resources online. Some of them are specifically developed for different age groups, but um, we do have resources for for pretty much any school-age child, and what we've found that's been a fun part of this process, and some of the um, videos we also have were filmed by uh, some of our teachers and their families, and uh, one of the first ones was actually one of our our teachers who encompassed all of our children, which I thought was really great, and she talked about different tasks that each of them could do, and I believe they're, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but I believe they're in different grades in high school and then one might be in middle school. So just kind of a fun thing to think about with that and um, how she adapted a pretty simple recipe and was able to use it across those age groups.
1: So I'm sure that people now are saying, why don't you give the website so that we can go there? So Caitlin, <laughs> tell us the website address and what we can find there.
0: Sure. So you're going to go to foodedu pilotlifechef.org. And then uh, that's our whole center. And then it's going to be backslash family-resources.
1: And there really are lots of areas of information for parents, for kids that I think people will find really, really helpful. So um, thank you for being out there and, and doing that. I know one of the areas that you are working in is the area of advocacy. And I wonder maybe you could talk a little bit about that as well.
0: Sure. Um, So as as I mentioned, initially, our mission has always been about bringing food education, providing it to all students in schools. And there are sort of two paths that we've gone down for this. The first is, you know, first, you know, we wanted to, we want to provide this access and we recognize that working through policy and advocacy is, is really one of the main channels that we can pursue to do that. So the first step in this process two years, we recognized that we hadn't really defined food education very well for teachers in particular. And, you know, we kept going into schools and saying, you know, we're, we're pilot light, we're going to support you in integrating food education into, into your classrooms. And, and immediately there was you know, assumptions made about what that means and whether, you know, it ties in cooking or nutrition. Our team kept coming back to this point of, but food education is so much more and sort of related to what I spoke about earlier, Beth, in your podcast, the, the, the component of food being so much a connection point for us all. We wanted to better define that so that we could support all of these goals going forward. So we convened a group of experts in food and education and child development. Uh, we worked at the University of Chicago, and we hosted uh, what we called our Food Education Summit. And we, we brought these experts in. We had teachers and community members and parents involved as well, but brought everybody in and said, you know, what should food education, how should we define this? Um, what does this mean to you? And we collected, over two days, we collected all of this feedback. As you can imagine, it was extensive, <laughs> and it was wonderful to come out with these these perspectives and and thoughts. And we we then took them to a group of teachers and worked with them to build out our food education standards, which are on our website. And our standards are, they're they're for grades K through 12. They are broken down by grade level. And ultimately the the standards encompass all of these these domains of food education from food bringing people together, food in the environment, food and health, food in decision making and in advocacy and we published those standards in fall of 2018 and and the idea of that document is it does provide this this more holistic definition it it provides it in a way that's useful to teachers that they can reference when creating lesson plans and um, it also demonstrates the connections between food education and core curriculum and how teachers can use that in their classrooms to support their goals so for instance in the document, you can look at how our different standards cross reference common core state standards, for instance, national health education standards, social and emotional learning standards. So it's, it's really kind of a one-stop shop for teachers when they're developing or, or refining curriculum to use it in their classroom to, to support all of these goals. So once we had our food education standards in place, we've really seen that as the key document. To moving forward with recommending food education be offered to all students and just from a, a policy level to, to give you some perspective that, that if you think back uh home ec is a class that many of us took uh, i day. was one of those i, I was one of those uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's not in most schools anymore unfortunately the state of illinois recently did recommend um they provided guidance um, for schools and teachers to bring that back in. So there, there does seem to be a trend going back in that direction of, of bringing in these life skills, this critical information that um, our students need to, um, to thrive and to be successful. So, so anyway, we're, we're, we've been going down that path with food education. And over the past year, we worked with a, it's the Harris School of Public Policy at University of Chicago. They have something called Policy Lab. And we worked with them to develop a roadmap for implementation of food education in the state of Illinois. So that's sort of one path that was going down, but I'll turn it over to Caitlin to talk about some of the work that our teachers are doing um, in their own schools and communities to to advocate for change in in areas related to food. So something that we've... um, We've really been a fine tuning with our, our teachers, um, has been what we call advocacy projects or advocacy lessons. And uh, those are something that our teachers work on at the end of the year, or they culminate at the end of the year, but um, they think about throughout the entire year. And the, the idea behind that is really that the students can be the agents of change in their own community. So, thinking about the students really drive the project. So, thinking about an issue that they have in their community that they you know, want to find an approach to, and want to think about how they can, you know, combat it. And so, over the years, different projects have been done on things from food deserts to food insecurity, to bees, to family styrofoam, all sorts, and bu- building gardens, of course. And the neat thing about these projects is because the students drive them. There's investment from the whole the whole classroom in that component, and the teacher really just acts as a facilitator to help the students enact something that they're they're hoping to change within their community and right now we have our teachers working on lessons in a a new way so thinking about how they can um, help people within their community broadly speaking and incorporate this into the lessons that the students are learning for the rest of the year so I'm excited to see what what's coming down the pipeline so to speak Um, I know uh, myself when when I walk around um, in my neighborhood I you know see great examples of things that people are doing and it's such a such a good time to find the generosity of those within the community and how they can help others. And we're looking forward to seeing how that happens in our classrooms too.
1: It sounds like you are already answering the, my, one of my last questions, which was even though, even though, even though it's a bit too soon to really know what the new normal is going to be like, I'm guessing from what you've already said that pilot light is already thinking about that. And I'm wondering how different or not you're seeing the role of your organization moving forward.
0: It's definitely been top of mind recently. And like you said, it's hard to say at this point, what what that new normal will be. But we know, at least to the end of the school year, and probably well into next year, if not for longer, is that for some, the educational side, there will be an emphasis on uh, and the need for distance learning opportunities um, like the ones being offered by Pilot Light. So we've been really working to shore up those resources. And for, for your listeners, we're launching new family meal lessons and videos every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. And they're, they're shared on our social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook. And then also posted to the Food Education Center, so it's something that, that you can schedule into your time. But the other piece of it, too, is that we recognize how this is affecting the restaurant community. And as I've mentioned a couple of times, we're, we're founded by chefs, and we have very strong ties the restaurant community in Chicago. Consider them our, some of our greatest partners and, and supporters. So in the short term, we've taken a couple of steps. And first, how do we bring what we're all missing back into homes? Again, sort of like I I spoke to before, and even calling the Family Meal Program Family Meals was based on, for anybody who hasn't worked in in a restaurant or in the service industry before, um, there's a meal shared by staff and restaurants before service begins. And it's a time to come together to show appreciation for each other. So we're sort of pointing to that, the meaning of that in, in creating this program. And uh, we've also the, the support of a generous supporter. We've put a call out to the hospitality, the food and hospitality community in Chicago, to apply to create family meal videos for us. So we have chefs and hospitality folks from their homes throughout Chicago. We have fifty of them working on this project. They're developing videos. They're writing recipes, and they're they're thinking too how these recipes tie into. Learning objectives for students. So, all of those videos are, are in the process of being created, or soon will be created for us and shared back to us to go back out to our food education center. But bringing people together in that way, even though you know we're we're all in our homes and feeling disconnected right now, it, you know, coming back to how food brings people together. We have chefs and people who love food deeply and and want to share. Their knowledge of food and their passion for food, working on these these videos and these ideas to be to be sharing them back with with parents, with youth, with with teachers, and a small way it's a way of bringing people together through food when when we need it the most.
1: Oh, that's that's really beautiful, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of those videos myself. I just wonder if there's ways that you will be able to. Find ways to measure the impact of your program, particularly this kind of mm-hmm. new segment of how you're operating with all these video pieces and not yeah. and not Great. being in touch with the teachers and the students like you were before.
0: Great question. Until now, <laughs> we have a program called our Food Education Fellowship, and um, our fellows are teachers in Chicago who. Uh, deliver our program throughout the year um, on a weekly basis. And the teachers spend different grade levels. Um, some of them focus in specific content areas, like math or science. They have developed their own evaluation plans. So um, while they're all looking at the impact of the program on food education-related outcomes for their students, they're also looking at education and and academic performance indicators, for example, or some of them were looking at attendance and if their their students were coming to school more on pilot-like days. So that's how we've been approaching it for the past year. And um, you're right, Beth, this introduces a a new challenge. And we've been talking a lot about this in the short term. We've put a survey on our website to ask parents and, and anybody using the resources to share feedback with us. But we also, on the, the back end, we can look at number of, you know, engagements and views with our, our videos. We can look at downloads of our materials. Through our current food education fellows, we can collect data from parents to confirm that this is what they need at this time and, and that this is, you know, they're using it, that it's, it's supporting them and bringing food education into their homes. And this sort of anecdotal feedback, too, has also have been very useful in in these early days of this transition. Uh, And I'll just give you an example. One of our teachers shared that she was hearing from parents that they were getting very concerned about their students meeting different uh, common core standards. And those standards are being communicated to them from their teachers. And then through homeschooling, they were Able to sort of tell where their children were struggling and, and just looking for more resources to support them in specific areas. So, in light of that, refining our lessons to be grounded more in specific standards, and we're working to line those up with some of the, the information uh, in particular that we see going out of Chicago Public Schools right now and some of their, um, their learning packets that are going home with families. But, you know, we recognize to that feedback that even though we've aligned all of our materials to standards quite a bit in the past for teachers. Uh, we learned that this is also very important to parents and that we needed to be communicating this more and in giving more activities and options for parents to be making these connections from their home. That's one example. I think as we go through this process, we'll continue to learn more and, and solidify our evaluation plan going forward. But We welcome your listeners as as they're using the materials to go on, and we can share that survey link with you as well, but to go on and and to give us feedback on what else they need, what can support them in in, in bringing this into their homes, and also telling us, like, what conversations are you having at home in, in light of these materials? How is it impacting your children?
1: All really important work. And I wonder if you could just give that website one more time. That website address.
0: Um, so you will find our resources at
1: from roll please <laughs> um,
0: foodedu dot family dash resources backslash.
1: Perfect. Thank you. Our
0: listeners can also follow us um, on Instagram and Facebook. The handle is at pilotlightchef. And then uh, we encourage folks to post pictures and and videos of the family meals at home with the hashtag CLFamilyMeal. You know, I think that, you know, in terms of evaluation, that's something else we're looking at is engagement through social media. We'd love to see what you're all doing.
1: Alex and Caitlin, I want to thank you so much for the work that you do. And thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's been great chatting with you and letting everybody know about the great things that Pilot Light is doing. Thank you so
0: much, Beth, for having us. We're we're so grateful for the opportunity, and especially in light of the the current situation, being able to share this out with your listeners and their families um, is incredibly helpful to us. So,
1: thank you. Oh, you're welcome.
0: Always a pleasure to talk with you, too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. It's always a pleasure to talk about food, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) My recording and mix engineer is Steve Robinson. The Big Schmear theme music is performed by Cavatino Duo from their CD entitled Sephardic Journey on the Sadie record label. I would like to give a big shout out to Kent Savage for introducing me to Pilot Light in November. Who knew I'd be seated at a community table next to Caitlin? Yay for that. If you like The Big Schmear, please don't forget to subscribe and to write a review or share a like on my Facebook group page. All this really helps the podcast grow. If you have comments or questions, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me at Beth at thebigshmeer.com. And be sure to check out my website, thebigshmeer.com, to find recipes shared by my guests. I'm Beth Schenker, the host of The Big Schmeer. Thank you for listening, and happy eating.